giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Another Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Michael Sheely, formerly the co-founder of RunKeeper and now working on an upcoming health information company. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So how did RunKeeper come about originally? Yeah, it's interesting. So there's there's a couple of backstories, and I think that's like the interesting part of, mm-hmm. of any successful company is that you have all these different people that come together and everybody has a different backstory that, that forms the entity that's created. But, you know, my background, I was on a track team as a, an undergrad, mm-hmm. and, th- and then, you know, I went to college, I was on a track team, and so like track was like a part of my background, and then mobile development was part of my background, and... 2004, I started a mobile company, and it was way too early for the industry. Yeah, and so I went back, and I was getting an MBA, and I was working a day job, and I got a LinkedIn request from someone I didn't know who just said, "I just quit my job. I want to do something on mobile. Can we talk?" And I was just like, "Who? Who is this? What year was this? 2008. 2008. So it was after the iPhone came out. Yeah, one year. It was before the." iPhone app store launch, yep. but it was after the first version of the iPhone launch. Mm-hmm. And I, I was working at a company that wasn't very entrepreneurial and I had been, I had started a couple of companies before that. And so like meeting someone else who was also entrepreneurial was just like, whoa. like it was like sort of the dark day of the Boston startup tech scene where like mm-hmm. there was no community. Like there was a community in the early days and then it sort of like went kind of dark on everybody and then it popped back up. Mm-hmm. And this is like in the middle of like nobody's talking to each other there's no idea that there's another startup happening right around the corner that mm-hmm. you're working uh, that that you're working nearby and it was just like holy cow like somebody else wants to start a company like sure and it's in mobile and then i met him and it was like oh and it's about running mm-hmm. like oh this is pretty neat and just sort of understanding the limitations of the iphone and and knowing where things were going so i was like really focused on the fact that like location mattered and so mm-hmm. i was actually working on an idea with a colleague of mine that we were calling GeoSync up. And it was this idea of connecting people using your location. If you were meeting somewhere, it would let you know when you should leave. Mm-hmm. And we started discovering that the GPS was really bad in mm-hmm. the early smartphones. And it couldn't be left on for longer than 20 minutes or so, or the battery would die. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of tracking your run was perfect because it's not always on. It doesn't need to be as precise as some other uses. At least I didn't think so at the beginning. And then back then, not being a long distance runner, I thought like, you know, who runs more than 20 (laughs) minutes anyways, right? And so it matched a whole bunch of things. It was like my passions. It was like the trend that I was following. And then it was just somebody else who wanted to start a company Mm -hmm. and who was willing to quit their job and go all in. And then we just met, uh, you know, I got introduced to our other co-founder, who was a tech guy who just like wanted to write code and like would spend nights, weekends, days, like doing nothing but building, right? And you could just see the passion in his eyes too that he wanted to do something. I was just like, holy cow, like that's like everything I'm looking for is just joining people who care that much about doing something. And so I, I, I decided to do it. Mm-hmm. So you quit your job? So did no. you raise money? Did you raise around and before deciding to do it? No. So it was nights and weekends for me for a little bit. And I had a day job and I was basically trying to figure out how to financially do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I knew I needed to get out of the apartment that I was in. Um, And so I ended up buying a house in Chelmsford, which is like 45 to an hour minutes Mm -hmm. away from Boston. I think my my mortgage was Mm -hmm. $1,200, like super cheap. And my wife was in a a good job. And so it like finally gave me the ability to quit. And so I think I was still moving boxes into the house and I had taken a week off from work to move and I couldn't even do it. I I left. So it was about seven months after that I actually left my job and I went in and I I quit my job um, and just joined full time. Mm Mm-hmm. And Runkeeper at that point hadn't raised any money? No, no. Mm-hmm. So we we didn't raise money for almost a year and a half yeah. after we the company was started. And um, we had money coming from the app store. Right. So at that point, people were downloading apps and paying for them. Right. So being one of the first 200 apps in the entire app store, 
gives you that luxury of, of people downloading, paying $10 to download an app. And then we set it free. And then we came out with this idea of it was a paid version and a free version. And then we were just playing the game of, do we put the feature on the free version or do we put it on the paid version? Like, what, what are we doing there? And so we, we grew, I think almost two years before we raised a small round seed mm-hmm. funding. And we basically did that because the winter was coming and we didn't know what was going to happen in terms of our revenues during this first winter. The, the winter before that, we were too small to see any seasonality. Okay. And so the next winter was coming and we we're like, crap, like we need to keep going. Now we have expenses. Mm-hmm. Do we raise money? And so we raised money thinking the winter was going to be bad. And that's where we discovered January is like the greatest uh, month in the world for, for anybody doing anything in, in sports mm-hmm. and fitness. Um, everybody has their New Year's resolutions. And in, in those days, everybody's getting iPhones right. and Christmas. And so you have these like two giant tides that are hitting at the same time. And, and for being a, a health and fitness app in January is amazing. And mm-hmm. so we actually didn't even touch it. So we didn't touch that round of funding at all, uh, which was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. At that point, what was the team like? We stayed small for a long time. So it was it was myself, our two co-founders, and we had a designer who, when I look back at it, our designer probably should have had the title of co-founder. Like he came mm-hmm. in super early, had huge sacrifices that he did. And it was basically four of us. And then we started bringing on engineers. And so we brought on three guys that I worked with before, and then another engineer that worked with one of my co-founders before. And then we brought in somebody to manage our social media. Mm-hmm. So it was... I think eight. I think that's eight people total mm-hmm. for the longest time. I think we were eight people for maybe three years. On the technical side, what were some of the biggest challenges early on that you had? Yeah. Uh, so that was the days before AWS and mm-hmm. Amazon uh, became very popular. So we we were using a server farm. I think it was based out of Texas, Rimu Hosting or something mm-hmm. like that. And so we were we were always struggling with scaling. Scaling was always a problem that was happening. You know, it was always days where like the the website would go down and we would have no idea why. And so we were sort of learning as we were going about scaling the platform Mm -hmm. and then just finding out like we were writing all our SQL queries wrong. And and that was around the time where I stopped writing code. So it was pretty clear to me that our co-founder, who's a technical person, only wanted to focus on the tech was starting to learn a whole lot more. And mm-hmm. then I just remember one day working on a feature and like him being like, yeah, that's the old way we're doing it. And I remember being like, ugh, like <laughs> I'm, I'm slowing you guys down. Like you guys need to start focusing on that and I'll just focus on the, on the product. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, scaling was like the biggest challenge because we were new and we were all of a sudden getting hit with days where like all of a sudden Sunday afternoon, as, as afternoon goes through the United States, like that's when we get hit with mm-hmm. everybody going running. Mm-hmm. And we were building it so that every single GPS point was streaming to the server. And so you had an unbelievable amount of load that was happening on mm-hmm. a server and mm-hmm. just huge popularity that was happening, unexpected, like 50% growth month over month. And then Sunday's hit and everybody that had stopped using the app suddenly starts using it again for some random reason. Mm-hmm. And it would just completely take down our servers. So it was it was always a challenge in the early days. And it was it was fun because it was like a good problem to have. It was like too many people are using your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so um, it was it was always a challenge to sort of keep up on that. How did you finally get past that? I don't think we ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think we ever did. We would always make a change and be like, this was the change that fixed Mm-hmm. that fixed scaling. And then three months later, we would have, you know, three million more people using the product and right. the scaling issues would come back up or we would launch a new feature and, and realize that there was a scaling issue there. So that never went away. We just got better at, I think, debugging it mm-hmm. and figuring out where the problems were and, and maybe thinking about it a little bit more ahead of time. But mm-hmm. the issues were there, you know, three and a half years later. So on the other side of things, on the business side, what was the biggest challenge you had early on? You know, it was a it was a new space and really trying to figure out what this new capability of a, of a smartphone was mm-hmm. going to allow us to do. And so before that, the industry was you had smart watches, you know, these watches that you yeah. would go for a run and they would cost three hundred dollars to buy, and they were great and they had much better 
accuracy. So we would always get like our high-end users that would be like, look, I went for a run around a track and look how close the GPS mm -hmm. points are around the track. And then look at your app and it's all over the place. And we'd be off by, you know, a fraction of, of a distance. And that was always the, the negative. But then the positive was is we were streaming. Like you were right. always connected on this iPhone. One, it, we could make the app free and anybody can use it. And then two, it was always connected. And so that was always the thing is like, how do we set ourselves differently from a Garmin GPS watch mm -hmm. with that capability? Mm -hmm. and, and where is the barrier between us and the platform? Like is, is Apple about to launch something that does exactly what we do? And so it was always trying to figure out like, what is it that we're good at? What is it that we should be doing? And one of the things that we discovered was people were downloading the app because they wanted to track how far they were running. So mm -hmm. it was like the utility was what was getting them to, to come to us. But the reason that they were staying was is the connection with other people, the motivation. Mm -hmm. So we started to see really early on that our users were people who wanted to stay fit or be fit or run their first 5K. It wasn't the person who was trying to shave time off their marathon. Right. And the way people were getting fit and the way that they were staying fit was the motivation of their friends and family. And so we really doubled down on that. And it was more about connecting you with other people who were in your social network mm -hmm. who could motivate you, whether it was just someone who cared about you or if it was somebody who was in your social circle who was healthier and was always fit and then saw you doing it and was like cheering you on. And so those are the things that we double down on. And those are the things that also started to make us grow because as you're more social with it, you're starting to share it more with other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really started to set us apart from everybody else is when we started focusing on the person who's just trying to get fit and the person who's getting motivation from their friends and family. You mentioned that you you did some experimentation around pricing, and you start you were among the first apps in the store. And back then, it was you could charge ten dollars upfront. How did you deal with the change that happened in the app store? And yeah, we we tried to stay in front of it, mm -hmm. um, and so we knew that eventually it would have to be free. Like there were just the news at that time was always about you know there's twenty thousand apps in the app store now there's forty thousand yeah. We knew that the space was getting crowded, and then I think Nike launched their app, and they were charging $5. And we had a free app, which was great. It was getting us a lot of users. And then our paid app was 10 And the question is, is, well, do we make our paid app $5, or do we set it free, right, and just make the statement that we're leading the charge mm -hmm. to the bottom in terms <laughs> of pricing? And so we did a couple of things. Once we introduced a subscription so we started mm -hmm. seeing that there was a lot of interest in the data that people were collecting. And maybe incorrectly, we thought it was the data at first. And then we started to learn that it was the insights that you could get from the data. Mm -hmm. um, and I would even add that I think l even later on, we learned that it was more the actions that you can get from the insights. So it's great that I'm running this far. It's great that I'm trending in this direction. But what do I do about that? And then connecting them with someone who can actually help them hit their goal. So it was a first 5K. It was like, let's get you in touch with a trainer. And so those features we started to put as as the premium feature behind a subscription. And then mm -hmm. we started offering training programs, which at first were paid and then later became free. And so we were shifting our business model towards that subscription, which is mostly on our website. And mm -hmm. then what happened was, is we decided we were going to set it free. And so rather than just setting it free, we wanted to make a big to-do about it. And we did it on a January so we learned from before that January is the big month. Everybody's downloading apps. So let's do something in January where we set the app free and we let the world know that it's now free. And let's just test it for a month. At least that's what we were, we were saying publicly. Let's set it free. Let's see how the subscription holds up. And then we'll see what we can do after that. And when we set it free, we skyrocketed. We had a million downloads that day. Mm -hmm. um, and we had... I forget how many we did in the month of January, but we were a third in the entire app store that mm -hmm. day that we set it free. And I have a screenshot that has Facebook four and three, <laughs> and we, we were finally ahead of them. It was just an, an enormous uh, rush that came in. And then every month after that, we stayed. So it sort of shot us at the top. We dropped a little bit, but then we started to, to, to climb again after that big drop. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of validated setting it free and then it was just focusing on how do we how do we focus on the subscription aspect of it but 
the decision to make it free was not an easy one mm-hmm. to do. It was 90% of our revenue. Right. And we had a pretty, I won't say heated, but we had a pretty tough board meeting when we were making the decision. And personally, I felt like it was me and then everybody else going like, what are you doing? Like, you mm-hmm. can't do this. But we did it. We made the decision to make it free. And it, it, I think it completely changed our long-term thinking of what the company was. Mm-hmm. Like, are we doing this for a month-to-month revenue or are we thinking bigger? Like, what's the big opportunity that, that we're facing? Yeah, I was a early RunKeeper user and it was, I was running half marathons distance and weekly, but it was the even just simple things around the analytics, just saying like, here's what your total run distance is in the week. Yep. And then that is what caused me to start running every day. I did the math and said, oh, this is what I'm hitting now running every other day. The most I could possibly run is this nice round number. I don't know what it was. It was something like 70 miles or something like that. And it, it run every day. Yep. <laughs> and that's what did it for me. Yeah, uh, was seeing that those analytics and seeing the total of miles per week. I think it might have been the month number. Like if I ran every day in a month, here's the maximum number I could do, and it encouraged me to do that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so so a lot of users, some of the features around that that we launched that I remember being really making the app a little bit more sticky was that in terms of your best, so your top goal, so how many miles you run this week is the best you've ever done. And we would alert mm-hmm. you. And I remember right. at first we thought of what is every single alert that we could do? Like, what is your best distance, your best elevation change? Mm-hmm. Yep. And when we launched that feature, we were basically hitting people with all these notifications. Mm-hmm. And so we had to cut back on yeah. what, and it, at first it made us realize like, we can't just alert people on everything. Yep. Otherwise they just get over it and instead start to focus on like, what is important to people? Mm-hmm. What is the goal that they have set? And yeah. for you, maybe it was miles that you've run in, in that week. But that's when we started really thinking about cohorts and like there's different types of people. We know mm-hmm. we're focusing on the people who want to be motivated, but there's different types of motivation within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people who want to lose weight. There's people who want to lower their cholesterol, right? We would get weekly emails from our users and sometimes daily of, you know, my doctor told me I'm pre-diabetic and I'm using your app because he told me I need to change my lifestyle and I need to get healthier. And you guys are motivating me to do that. And mm-hmm. like sending before and after pictures, like unbelievable motivation internally for the team to see that and to launch a feature and be like working nights and weekends on these things, right? Like giving up so much of your life and then getting someone who sends that all the time that's mm-hmm. saying like, you're changing my life. Like it internally just completely rallied the team all the time mm-hmm. to go forward. Yeah, I great. can imagine. On the flip side, I think that Runkeeper was one of the first Twitter mutes that I ever put on because <laughs> so many people I followed yeah. had the auto tweet whenever they finished a run, it would tweet. And I just had to, I was like, okay, I love you and I love running, yeah. but this is too much. <laughs> yeah. So we, we also put a little bit too much branding. We had an advisor that told us to curve back on the branding that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So we had a hashtag at the end. We also tagged ourselves in every auto tweet. So any of those rankings that were like how what social media handles are doing well, well, we would always rank really high because they would interpret those as people tweeting to us. Oh yeah, and so we always were high. Um, you know that was that was our social feature. So on Facebook, we were doing the same thing. I have a screenshot which I think is the first social media share of fitness activity ever on Facebook. And and it was me driving to get coffee. It wasn't even I didn't even run <laughs> to do it. I was testing out a feature. And so I think we're either to credit or to blame for mm-hmm. for people oversharing on on social media about their health and fitness. But yeah, that was that was us testing it. It was like where is the threshold between being too noisy and not being noisy enough? So mm-hmm. like having it on by default didn't seem right, but letting the user turn it on at the end of their best 5K ever and being mm-hmm. like, don't you always want to share this moment? Like this this feeling that you're feeling right now as you're like breathing heavy and you we just told you it was your best run ever you want to share this right now and don't you always you'll always experience this if you share it online people be like yes Mm -hmm. and then we'd go like okay after a while okay that's getting a little noisy so we got to curve back otherwise people won't want to use that feature so it's always this like game of are we being noisy or are we helping people uh, stay motivated that Mm -hmm. we wanted to hit perfectly the thing that i also loved was because i we have studios in different cities and that kind of thing. And so getting a, a nice looking map of the run and, oh, this was in, I had a conference in this city and went for a run and 
I just always liked even just going back and looking at those and being like, oh yeah, here's where I, and then when I would visit that city again, being able to say, where did I run? Oh yeah, here's where I, I ran. Yeah. It's almost like the life logging aspect mm-hmm. of it, of keeping track of, of all your activities in different places. We always knew that that was going to be something. And I'm actually surprised that there isn't like a life logging app out there. Maybe Google Photos is mm-hmm. the best one that's hit that right now. But that was always something that we knew was there. We just couldn't figure out if that was the right focus for us or if we should be doubling down on that. But for some reason, I think I think it was the right decision. We never we never doubled down on that as yeah. being like a life logger. We always yeah. stayed true to the, to the core. Well, I'm a big believer in that, especially on the iPhone, like each app sort of has a thing that you use it for. Yep. And if you start putting in too much other things, it can really dilute what you are and how, how people view you. Exactly. And it gets confusing to the consumer of why should they use you. And yeah. that's I think that's when you start becoming okay at a lot of things rather than really good at, at mm-hmm. one thing. So how did competition factor into like your decision making outside? Like, because a lot of other apps were coming out. You mentioned Nike and, you know, lots of things. Yeah. It started to get crowded really quickly. And we were pretty positioned in a, in a great way to become the hub for mm-hmm. that crowded market that was coming. So we we did a partnership with WeThings that is now part of Nokia, which which I've recently heard is on its way to becoming a, a private company again. Right. Coming out of Nokia. And I think today they're still probably one of the best companies at making connected devices, but we were lucky enough to meet them. I met their founder in Paris at a conference, and he said, you know, we have these connected scales. We want to integrate with you. And Mm -hmm. and at first we thought, oh, we'll integrate with them because calories are calculated using your weight. And if we have the weight from the scale, we can calculate calories really well. Mm-hmm. And when we integrated with them as being the first device that we integrated with, we started seeing users saying like, oh, well, this is great because then I can see how my running affects my weight loss. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a, not even the focus of why we integrated, but what we did. And then we started getting heart rate monitors mailed mm-hmm. to us. And we started getting sleep monitors mailed to us. And we started getting app developers reaching out to us and like the crowded market was there and Mm -hmm. we were getting all these prototype devices and it was sort of the beginning of the connected wearables market that was appearing. Uh, We did a partnership with Fitbit when they were really small. In fact, Mm -hmm. we talked with Fitbit when there were four people in San Francisco and it was just watching this crowded market happen, but they're asking to partner with us. It was just this really good position. It It was sort of the struggle within the team of is this what we are? Like, do we become the company where we collect all the health information, make sense of it, promote apps that are collecting the right data? Mm-hmm. In turn, for them giving us the data, we'll expose them to more people on our platform. Like, do we become this, as what Wired called it, the Facebook of fitness? Mm-hmm. Is that where we go? And then the app becomes sort of a user channel for us, like mm-hmm. our branding, but then that's the user channel that gets us the core of our users, and then we become more of a platform. Or do we stay a running app? And I think when I look back at that part of the company, that was the part that I probably had a different opinion than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the the angst that eventually made me want to leave, mm-hmm. was that I wanted to become something different than what the core of the company was. Mm -hmm. And so it manifested itself in a bunch of different ways. And so eventually I just said, we had just raised like $10 million. The company was growing like super fast. And I just said, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I stepped out. And so it was sort of that watching competitors morphing itself into what the industry was going to be that eventually just got to me. I think mm-hmm. as as the person who was leading the product at the time, it just resulted in that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you have to believe in the product that you're building in order to be able to continue to do it. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's not believing in the product. I yeah, believed in it. It was just the direction, and yeah. I think there was some internal things inside of me where I wanted to do with my life and my career that mm-hmm. was pushing me to become more focused on on that aspect mm-hmm. of where I wanted the company to go. And that was just what, what did it, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting in retrospect though, because Apple eventually re- released HealthKit. Yes. Yeah. Which 
sort of wiped all of that out by putting it into the platform. It, I think they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that that's one ecosystem. Right. But I still, so I connect all of my apps to the health kit and mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for something to tell me the insights right, right, right. of that. Yep. And I'm not even sure if it's doing it right. So my circles on my watch will tell me that I haven't exercised for more than an hour today, even though I know I went for a run in the mm-hmm. morning. That was mm-hmm. an hour in it of itself. So something is still missing there, right? There's nothing that's making sense of that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also from a social aspect of it too. So right. where I was thinking was, is, you know, my fitness and my health is not just a product of my activities, but it's also the product of activities of people around me. So if my wife is sick and I'm staying up watching the kids, like her health affects my ability to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. for a run, right? And so like, how do you analyze all that stuff to make sense of it? And then how do you then connect experts, coaches, um, trainers into that ecosystem so that they can sort of help coach you through it? And mm-hmm. so that connection I ha- I don't see happening yet. Like yeah. we will as a society get there eventually, like just the way societies work is they eventually start, we all start working together nicely. It's just painful mm-hmm. up until then. I just don't think it's there yet. And it's probably just going to take a whole lot more time and maybe an entrepreneur who actually executes correctly on mm-hmm. that. That's not what you're working on now, is it? it it's getting close. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not too far. I mean, not that, yeah. um, but something in that aspect of, of how uh-huh. do we as a society work closer together to solve some pretty serious mm-hmm. problems that it's that's in our healthcare system right now. Before we get there, and I definitely want to, like when you left Runkeeper, did you have a strong sense of what you were going to do next, or was it just I, I need to move on and I'll figure I'll figure it out? Uh, no, I wish I did have a strong sense of what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. It's probably career-wise, like the darkest. Like yeah. it was pretty dark for me personally. Of like, holy cow! Like you're getting emails daily, and you're getting pulled into meetings, and you're making decisions, and like things are moving ninety-nine miles an hour. Right? You're just flying, and then all of a sudden one day crickets and and you're just like oh okay um cool and then you get an email like a week later from someone in the company and you're like oh great and they're like yeah what's the password for this (laughs) this document or something and and you're just like oh yeah hi (laughs) and so you know i just kind of sat back uh for a little bit and then i decided i'm just gonna jump in and do something and i just said like what am i passionate about and so i just started working on an idea with my brother and so I've always wanted to work with my brother. He worked at a company. I almost took a job there. I think the first day I walked in, I had another offer. And I was just like, oh, I can't. This other offer is, is too good. I got to go somewhere else. And then we tried to bring him in the run keeper. And then it was just like, it's weird because we were a small team. Like now there's brothers. Like how does yeah. the family dynamic happen in there? So it was like the first time I was like, well, I'm going to start something. Like who else would I want to work with other than him? So we just started working on an idea. At first, it was a Bitcoin idea. Mm-hmm. So we were building a payment exchange system using Bitcoin that we stopped doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we we stopped doing that uh, just because I was like, oh, this is gonna be too hard. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if we were really thinking in terms of like everything that like the blockchain is today. Right. Like we were more thinking of like, oh, if I go out to dinner. And I've seen so many startups like have this premise. I go out to dinner and we both get food. How do we split the bill? Yep. Or like we go in on something else. Like how do we know who's paying for what? And basically a, a ledger between friends. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up shifting that towards this idea that it got back to, I think, the core of like what I've always been interested in is like how do people work together? And one of those ways that societies work together is through local retail. And so when you're thinking of like what's happening in the world. And at that point it was like Amazon was still super small and everybody was like, Walmart is destroying Main Street. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at Amazon taking off and I'm going, no, like the story is going to be that Amazon is destroying Walmart. Mm -hmm. And so looking back now, it's like that, that's definitely the case. And now it's interesting that Amazon is now trying to get into local retail, right? And Mm -hmm. they're starting to open up stores and they've bought Whole Foods. Because there's this there's this core element of a retail store. It's part of the community. It's a hub. It's a it's a social aspect. There's so much good that comes out of having a place that people go to for commerce that I wanted to preserve in some way. And so the theory that we had was 
we're finding all these stuff online, that online is always going to be a better directory and a better search for you to find really interesting products. But what if that local retail store became sort of that warehouse that held the products? And how do you build a, a software layer that helps that happen? And so what we built was a company called Kickscout. We would take the things that you pinned online. We were then analyzing every single retailer's website, trying to figure out what products they were. So we were mm-hmm. scraping all the information, putting it into a database. And then we would match up what you pinned online with that database while you were walking in a store. So we would track your location. If you were near a store that probably had the product that you had pinned online, we would just let you know. Mm-hmm. And so we built the core technology of that product. We brought on a designer to help with it, and then we just never used his designs. Like we were just trying to really get the technology done right. And the product looked like junk, but it worked technically. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, I spent like a year working on that. And then I got introduced to an entrepreneur who's working on a similar location-based company called Moby, uh, where they would allow people who were shopping to basically become mystery shoppers and collect data within the stores and then send that data back to the retail owners to help them understand how people are experiencing their stores. So we ended up selling the IP of what we built, the location finding, like you're now in this store, there's a mission, and I ended up joining that company for a short period of time. So I I sort of went back into this, like, how do we make people work better together, which I always thought was like the fun part of RunKeeper as well, is like getting you to be motivated by somebody else that's Mm -hmm. in your social network who can help motivate you to stay active. Uh, It's that same aspect, I think. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about new ideas or thinking about working on something, like, what are the biggest aspects that sort of stand out in your mind in terms of the boxes that you you try to check? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be something that's interesting to me, mm-hmm. and it's got to be something that I think I have the skills to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I look at some industries, and I'm just, like, really blown away by, like, like biotech is, like, one of those ones where every once in a while I'll start researching and, like, learning about stuff that's going on in biotech, and I just, like, don't have the background mm-hmm. to ever add any value to biotech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tend to stay clear about those. But I think the core is connecting people. Like, that is the core. I think that technology allows all of this to, to happen. Like, even this podcast, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing this not not for any other reason that maybe there's, like, some lesson learned, right? So that somebody else can go, like, ah, oh, okay, I won't do that, which is probably the takeaway from my career is I won't do that. But uh, <laughs> um, it's this, like, core of everyone's got a smartphone. Uh, we're all connected to the Internet. But rather than it being about us interfacing with the Internet, how does that help scale problems that we have in our daily lives if we can connect with other people? Right. And I think that's the core. Like, if I look back at everything that I was really passionate about doing, like, that was the core of it. Whether it was, like, how do we connect people who are hungry with really healthy food or or great food that's nearby, right? And it manifests itself in what looked like a food delivery app, right? Mm -hmm. Or how do we connect people who are trying to be healthy with other people who cannot motivate them? And it manifests itself in a running app. Um, That seems to be the core of of everything that that I've been working on. I don't want to at all minimize... Runkeeper or anything else you've done, but like timing obviously played a big part in that success. Huge, huge. So how do you think about timing? Like, and not almost get discouraged. Like we're ten years into mobile now, and there's yeah. no opportunity to be one of the 200 apps on the App Store. I think that's one of my lessons learned post Runkeeper mm-hmm. um, was that you can't just build an app and launch it and then have Apple take out an ad in the Wall Street Journal full page with your app on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that opportunity is gone. Like I think what we're learning and I'm I'm learning this even now with my current company is going direct to consumer really takes these like strange, I'd say complete luck uh, Mm -hmm. to be in a position where there's like this platform that it itself wants to grow and is going to do everything it can to market you as a show of its capabilities. So Apple wasn't marketing us because they wanted to be nice to us. They were doing it because it was helping show the world that there's these GPS capabilities and that you can do anything. There's an app for that. Mm-hmm. And we were the app for running. Those opportunities are are so few. It probably only happened once in our lifetime and that was it. Right. And so I still think you can focus on the consumer, focus on on the problem that a consumer has. 
but you really need to find some other marketing or business model that helps you get there. And that's probably working and partnering with other companies in the existing ecosystem or emerging within an ecosystem that can get your company to where it is. And so people always say like, oh, you're working on it as a B2C play. And in reality, it's a B2B2C play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you have to sort of think about it. Unless you hit it lucky and like you're in the right spot at the right time. Like maybe Amazon Alexa is about to become that mm-hmm. um, because they're really going to start promoting those skills that are on their, their device. And maybe Google will start doing it with there. And they'll, maybe there'll be like the Android iPhone battles. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's hard. I think it's hard, especially with like the days of privacy concerns and user, uh, you know, all the stuff that's happened with Facebook uh, in Congress and and uh, Cambridge Analytics. All that stuff is going to shut down the ability for these platforms to partner with startups. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, um, maybe fortunately for society's good, but unfortunately for a startup, it's going to be really hard to use those platforms to promote you as an independent company. I think. I think these platforms now have to think of how do they build these skills themselves and be very careful with who they partner with. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to make it really, really hard to find those opportunities where you can launch an app and go direct to consumer and take off uh, yeah. like we did. Yeah. So I know what you're working on now is in stealth, but that it has to do with healthcare. Yeah. Uh, so I think we saw part of the inkling uh, when you were talking about the platform and bringing people together and your passion about that. So what can you say about what you're working on now? Yeah. You know, we're, we're stealth, not because we're, I think I hate the word stealth. Oh, sorry. So, no, 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 no. It, <laughs> it, it comes across as, as stealth, but it's, yeah. it's stealth because if we'd come out the first six months, we were thinking about this idea, everyone would have a very wrong conception about what we're building. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 700 partners on our platform right now under a brand that's not even the brand that we're going to be launching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had 4,000 users use our product within the past few months, and it's on a brand that's not even the brand that we're going to go to market with. So we're, we're stealth in terms of outwardly saying, like, this is what we're working on to anybody who's going to run with the story of what, what we're working on. Mm-hmm. But I think we're stealth only because in those aspects, we haven't figured out what the true messaging or the true branding or the partnerships that we're going to be going for. Uh, I think now we've figured it out. Like mm-hmm. we're we're hitting a, a spot where I think we've figured out the business model. We've figured out the the marketing channels, and we're starting to see it manifest itself in in terms of the team that's starting to form around this idea. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the team's growing. Like I have I have two offers out right now for like amazing people that I can't even believe I even got the chance to meet. Never mind almost get them on my team. So we're really close to launching with that. But I wouldn't call it stealth in yep. terms of like, I'm afraid someone's going to steal my idea because that's not what right. it is at all. It's more, I'm afraid people won't, when we do launch, get a sense of really what we're doing. Hmm. So it sounds very intentional then in terms of using a different brand, using a different... Yeah. I mean, we didn't use the other... We, we've actually gone out with three different brands. I think the branding comes after you figure out really what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important but I think it has to really encompass the message that mm-hmm. you want your product to be. And we hadn't figured it out. And so we, like the brand that the company's name and some of the things that we've been testing with at that time, this matches what we're doing. And then we go to market and it hits and we start to see people trying to use it for slightly different reasons. Or we're starting to see that the business model is not going to work that way. So now all of a sudden the brand doesn't make sense with what right. we're now trying to right. do. And so I think it's more of, even the branding, it's been evolving and iterating as we've been iterating the product mm-hmm. uh, up until this point. And so you want, it sounds like you want the freedom to be able to throw it out basically or change it <sighs> without being. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's, I mean, I think like a local paper or, or I don't know what you call Boston, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> local media uh, platform already like started to talk about what we were working on. Uh-huh. Uh, the reporter was standing next to me as I was telling somebody at a conference and he was uh-huh. like, oh, is that what you're working on? And then like a month later, there's this article. Yep. So like that aspect is there, right? And luckily he, he messaged me first and he was like, is this okay? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. But like that aspect is there now. But like in the early days, like I think most of the time when you're starting a company, like nobody cares. And so like mm-hmm. my advice for like a young person starting a company was like, oh, should I stay in stealth? Should I do this too? No, like no one's going to care 
when you're starting a company, if you're in the position where someone does care and they're trying to leak it, like that's a great problem to have. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the time that, that doesn't happen. So I think I think the advice I would give everybody else is just never be stealth. Like get out there, get your product out there, start learning. I just think it's just like weird yeah. hang up that I have right now that I want to sort of hold it back until we're perfectly ready mm-hmm. and then start, I mean, not even do like a big launch, yeah. but just have everything tight and then put it out there. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me what sort of aspect of healthcare you're focused on? Yeah. So the core problem that, and I'll talk very openly about the problem that we're trying to solve, is there's this aspect in in healthcare that manifests itself in all different ways. And the more we've learned about this, the more we've seen use cases, uh, different demographics of people that, that have this problem. And what it comes down to is that you have in healthcare people who are, they're I, mean, I can't even speak the stories that I've heard from doctors and nurses and people within the healthcare system, their personal stories and sacrifices that they've gotten to do this job that is ridiculously hard, right? Mm-hmm. And almost thankless in many aspects of it is just, it's awe-inspiring. Like it's one of those things where you look back at your own, my own skill sets and I'm like, oh man, I, maybe I should have been a nurse or a doctor, mm-hmm. right? And you just go, there's no way I would have been able to do that. Like, like they're just a different breed of human to do that. And unfortunately, the healthcare system and everybody within this healthcare system also agrees that it's, it's broken in this aspect, but they are separated from the patient when it comes down to it. They can't, for a whole bunch of reasons, communicate with their patients the way that they want to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And patients, unfortunately, don't even know where to go to communicate with them. And so what we've seen is in in some populations, when you're concerned and you have a health concern, the only place for you to go is the emergency room, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, $1,500 on average of a cost. Mm -hmm. And it's things like birth control tests, right? Like there's a population that the system has forced to go to a very expensive, time-consuming, like you can sit in an emergency room for five hours before they'll they'll right. work on you because they're always thinking of what is a higher priority. Right. But that's the only place that the system has forced these people to go to in order to get a birth control test because that's free there. Uh, in other conditions like myself, you know, the story that first initiated this thing was my daughter had was born with a heart defect. I mean, she was diagnosed before she was even born, and we were trying to figure out. It was, like, super scary. Like, mm-hmm. we plan on having a whole bunch of kids, and we just don't have two now, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, that was just so scary. Long story short, she's, like, doing amazing. And we ended up at Boston Children's Hospital, and we had the best doctors and nurses in the world for her condition. And she had open-heart surgery at three months old. And it was scary, and it was it was a blessing at the same time by being surrounded by people who just knew what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But as a father, you know, I sat next to her and I slept in a chair at night in the chair next to her for a week on my phone, nonstop for a week, searching anything and everything I heard the doctors or nurses say mm-hmm. about her condition. What could have caused it? Is it genetic? Is it caused by a virus? Is it co- like just going really dark into the web and trying to make sense of this myself. Meanwhile, the best doctors and nurses in the world Mm -hmm. are coming in and out of the room and I'm not asking them any questions. And it was because I didn't want to interrupt their treatment. They know what they're doing. I'm not going to ask them the stupid stupid fear I have, right? So I don't want to bother them. I don't want to look dumb, right? Because I don't actually know what I'm talking about. And I've never been trained in in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So like, how do I even ask this question while they're like, working on my daughter or like even if they did sit down next to me and start talking about things like I kind of wanted to hear what they were concerned about or what Mm -hmm. they're excited about I didn't want to bring up like so I read this dumb article online should I be concerned about this and I did at one point bring up something and they were like you know we have one of the best specialists in the world for that condition in Boston Children's Hospital like should we have her come up and I said yeah yeah let's have her come up and I just remember a nurse practitioner in the room kind of like looking at me like yeah, this is this isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they did. They brought in the specialists. They did a blood test on my daughter. They wheeled her out while she was recovering. They had to do a blood test. She she had to have the blood test taken from the top of her head, which was really painful for her. And it was just like horrible experience. And then they came back the next day, and they're like, she, "She's fine. 
yeah, that's that's not that's not what did it. Like, there's no no signs of this. And I remember just going like, okay, so that was an expensive, time-consuming, horrible experience for my daughter that I'm never going to ask another question again. Mm. And so what it comes down to is like, if you're someone who thinks you need to go to the ER in order to get a pregnancy test, or if you're someone who you're at the hospital and you have a concern, but you're afraid to ask the doctors, who do you turn to? And so what we do is we go to WebMD mm-hmm. and we go onto these forums online and we try to like self-educate ourselves without any background whatsoever of doing it. And we just scare the crap out of ourselves. And so luckily we had a friend who was a nurse practitioner who actually used to work on that floor in Boston Children's Hospital. And she lived in the town next door to us and she worked for a pediatric clinic. And my wife met her through a friend and it turned out that they went to college together. And we just started messaging Kim and asking Mm -hmm. her all these crazy questions and she would answer it. And she's like, I do this all the time, not just for you guys, but I do this for my friends, my family. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was because we were blessed to and fortunate to live in a community where we happen to know nurse practitioners. it was also because we just happened to have that situation where my wife started talking to her at, at an event. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those opportunities aren't distributed evenly, right? And so not everybody has that ability to, to connect with someone locally like that. And so that's basically what we're trying to figure out is like, how do you build a company that allows everybody to have access to that? Like, mm-hmm. how do you build a company so that, you know, we met Kim at, a, at the perfect timing, but maybe if this had happened a couple of years before that, we would have been searching deeper and scaring ourselves and maybe not knowing where the right place to go for care would have been uh, the outcome, right? And so there's timing, there's just happenstance, there's luck that's involved with that. And and none of this stuff is right in my mind. Like there should be a way in this day and age where we all have smartphones on us that we can connect with people that can help us understand this crazy world of healthcare better than WebMD. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's different than running, <laughs> right? Like the <laughs> yeah. business models, the partners, the, everything is much more bureaucratic and there are challenges and hurdles that you probably didn't have to face with any of the other things that you've worked on. Yeah, it's very different. Um, it's the same in terms of the fact that we're connecting people yep. and that's the essence is whether you're motivated to run because we've connected you with a trainer who works with people who are trying to run their first 5K or we've connected you with your friends and family who who can help cheer you on or you're scared about your health and we're going to connect you with someone who can help guide you the right way. That aspect, I think, is the same. And mm-hmm. where it's different is, again, Apple's not going to take out a full-page ad mm-hmm. in the Wall Street Journal for us when we launch. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, people aren't just going to download our app for $10 mm-hmm. because we're one of the first 200 apps in the app store and people just want to figure out what this thing is. Like those opportunities aren't the same, mm-hmm. uh, but there are trends in the healthcare industry that are happening at a rapid pace. And I think when you look at the healthcare industry, everyone's talking about telemedicine and AI. Mm-hmm. And there's this like other trend that's emerging that's not AI and it's not telemedicine. And it's the fact that you can go to an urgent care clinic anytime you want. Right. And they're literally across the street from each other everywhere. And mm-hmm. in the Northeast is like one of the last places to be infiltrated with mm-hmm. urgent cares everywhere. But other parts of the country, they're they're everywhere. And, and they're much cheaper than an ER. And they're run by PE firms, but they're highly fractured, right? So there's that aspect. And, mm-hmm. I, and I honestly think if it wasn't for urgent care, telemedicine would have taken off by now. Mm. But people are like, well, why am I going to spend $55 to have a video chat with a doctor I don't know when I can just walk down the street for the same copay as seeing my doctor, see someone right away, and actually talk to them in person and get a prescription that day and have it in my hand? Like, that's, I think, really preventing telemedicine from taking off. And mm-hmm. so you got that. And then you have AI. Like, everyone was trying to do chat bots for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a place for that stuff. But I think there's, I think there's other trends that that are emerging that are actually more powerful than that. There's blockchain, right? Like there's yeah. a whole bunch of blockchain startups that are trying to help healthcare with the blockchain. And I think those eventually would take off. But I, again, I don't think the shiny tech right now right. is the driving innovation in healthcare. I think there's a there's a couple of other things. There's also ACOs, so accountable care organizations are starting to emerge. 
the whole healthcare world is trying to figure out how do we shift from value-based medicine. So rather than getting paid $1,500 because you went to the ER, they're only going to get paid for the outcomes. Mm. Um, and so you now finally have providers that are incentivized to provide the right amount of care to stay engaged with people so that they are educated before they get to the point where they decide that they should go to the ER, like help them know where they should go. So you have like all these trends that are happening within the industry and the old fashioned industry just is having a hard time trying to figure them out. And there and there's again the most passionate, amazing people in the world trying to solve this problem, but they're trying to solve it within this system mm -hmm. that is just big and bureaucratic and full of regulations. But I think that's where we are right now. And I think from, from a startup standpoint, if you can figure out where those trends are and really focus on that core problem of the, what the consumer is facing, listen to the providers who are already in there like battling the system, I think you can really emerge as, as a platform that, that really makes a, a difference. That's great. And you said you feel like you might be getting closer to becoming public and that kind of thing. But what's the biggest hurdle to that right now? It's still learning. Yeah. Um, again, it comes back to the stealth thing. I think most people, when they're in stealth, they're not learning because they're not public. We are public to the people who I think have the insights um, yeah. that we need. So I think when we're public in terms of like a press standpoint, I think it's when when we know and we start to see this thing scaling. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing I want to do with this one is start focusing on the wrong thing. And because we're public now, we should be doubling down on on that. Mm -hmm. um, I like the freedom of being able to work on something, realize, oh crap, like we're doing this wrong, and like have absolutely no qualms about shifting focus, like rebranding, right? Mm -hmm. The team has shifted internally as well. So now, now that we're focusing on partnerships within within the industry, like who do we need? Like I've never partnered with a healthcare provider before, right? Mm -hmm. So who do we bring on to the team that has that experience that is super passionate about what we're doing already? So not someone that I can like get them passionate about what we're doing, but someone who's like literally already been trying to solve the exact same problem the same mm -hmm. way and like say like, hey, like let's work on this together. Like this isn't about ownership. It's not about ego. It's about all of us just getting together and working on this problem. I think that's the stuff that's happening right now. We'll prove that stuff to ourselves, to our customers, right? I think, and then once we have that working, there'll always be challenges as we go forward. But mm -hmm. like once we see that, then then I think we'll we'll probably go public with it. Cool. If people want to either get in touch with you or follow along with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, I'd probably say Twitter. So, yeah. my, although I I don't have a cool Twitter name, it's just my name. So it's Michael Sheely, M I C H A E L S H E E L E Y on Twitter. Or just Sheely on LinkedIn, whatever the LinkedIn URL is. It's just Sheely, S-H-E-E-L-E-Y. Yeah. Michael, thanks so much for joining me and uh, sharing your stories with us. They're great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I wish you the best and look forward to all the news once it happens. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I am too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.